In January of 1986, seven Americans were killed when their space shuttle exploded shortly after launch. What made this even more tragic was one of the people on board the shuttle was a high school teacher from Connecticut who had won the opportunity to be the first regular citizen to travel into space. What made it even more tragicer was the fact that there were concerns that the shuttle was unsafe before NASA decided to launch it anyway. In this week's episode, we're telling you the story of this tragedy and the management decision that might have caused it. Grab a drink and settle in for this episode of Hunter Proof History titled The Challenger Disaster. Fire in the sky. This is Hundred Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Hello, all of you non-Netflix subscribers. No, shut up. They don't need to know that. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> uh, you know, we're going to tell you about something you probably don't know. Right. You know, if you don't have Netflix, in detail. <laughs> oh, yes. Welcome to 100 Proof History. I am your co-host, Chris, and that is obviously the main host, the guy who introduced the show. That guy. Sorry, sir, what was your name again? Mm, Gregory, thank you. Oh, Gregory, that's right. Not Gregory, as I've been saying for all these years. <laughs> no, we are. Today, we are talking about the Challenger disaster. Um, I don't know. I, have, I feel like the average human didn't watch this documentary, so they're not entirely up on it. Even if they are, they won't get our very special brand of history analysis that you can only find on this podcast. So, I feel like the average uh, person is below average. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. And if they're listening to this podcast, they're way below that. Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you? <laughs> well, today, Greg, like I said, we're talking about Challenger, and our sources are the Space Shuttle Challenger Disaster by Charles River Editors. He's a very good author. He puts together a lot of short stories. His writing style is often very different from book to book. I don't understand why it seems like a different person's written this every time, but, you know, it's pretty... uh Pretty solid book, I guess. You're so funny, Chris. Thank you. Yes. I got to work on these G-rated jokes before we start talking about people blowing up and we find ways to make fun of that because we're horrible humans. I got to figure out how to get there. Baby steps. Figure out how to literally get one minute from now. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> okay. The other book was Truth, Lies, and O-Rings by Alan McDonald and James Hansen. A very, very technical book. I, I've, it's 600 pages. I probably made about 400 pages through before I kind of petered out on it, but it'll tell you everything you need to know about this disaster from an engineering level. And if you have no interest in that, I understand because it's very dry and I fell asleep reading it several, several times. So, uh, another highly recommended book from HPH. And of course, as Greg already mentioned, the Netflix documentary Challenger, The Last Flight. Which is a bit of a misnomer because there have been many, many flights since then. Right. Yeah. That's true. That is true. It was not the last flight. Fucking Netflix lying to you again. <laughs> right? Yeah. Commie propaganda. Well, as you can see, guys, we do a lot of research for these things. I think we've mentioned this before. We go out of our way. This is a dumb podcast, but we do serious history research. And there's a lot of times we look for sources that you can't find anywhere. Like, we do our deep 
deep dives. Well, and not only that, we don't only exercise the mental aspect of this. This is a, an entire mind, body, and soul game. Mm-hmm. We uh, we do a lot of practice drinking to get our livers up to snuff to be able to handle the many rigors that is this show. That's true. So. That is true. Yeah. And Greg, uh, as you're aware, and as Wolf Dick's aware because he's about to play this, um, we have a very interesting source, something related to this story that we found. It's a recording of shuttle program manager Larry Malloy, and he did a recording in a recording studio in Cape Canaveral on the day of the launch, January 28th, 1986. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Wolf Dick, if you, if you would, let's just go ahead and play that for our listener. All right, man. It's totally rad to meet you, Mr. Malloy. Uh, thanks for coming into the studio today. I hear you have a real boss project for us. Yes, uh, thank you for seeing me on such short notice. The space shuttle program needs a little publicity boost. As I'm sure you're aware, we're doing the teacher launch today. And I think it would be just the bee's knees if we could get more kids interested in space travel. So I've come up with an interesting and exciting new character. That's bad, but in a good way. Because it's the 80s and bad means good. You ready to get in the recording booth and lay this down? Let's do it to it, mister. Tubular. All right, Mr. Malloy, we're ready. All right, here we go. <clears throat> hey, kids, it's me, Assy the Clown. Would you like to go to space? Wait, wait. hold on. Assy? Uh, yes, it's it's short for astronaut. It's it's a common term. Huh, okay, but what? why a clown? Well, you, as I'm sure you know, cl- kids love clowns, and, uh, frankly, clowns love kids. It's kind of the perfect relationship. Alright, that's a weird way to phrase it, but... Go ahead, I guess. <coughs> One special boy, or girl, will be selected to ride the next space shuttle. Just send me a letter telling me why you should be the one who is selected. Be sure to include a picture of yourself. You don't even have to tell your parents. It could be our little secret. Uh, hold on again. Yeah? Did you write this yourself? Uh, yes. Why? It's just... Why would it be a secret? Well, uh, it adds to the thrill. I told you, I'm getting them excited about space. I'm trying to excite the children. Uh, again, that's, uh... It's a very strange way to put that. This has given me the same bad vibes I got when my favorite band, Wham, broke up. But, uh, I guess let's just... Let's just get through this first run-through. Alright. The winner will get to ride old Assy's rocket, and believe me, you'll feel the thrusts! Thrusts? Like, plural? There's an S at the end? Oh, sorry. No, I I have a a slight speech impediment. Literally the first time you've had a lisp. Either way, it may be because it's 1986 and I'm coked out of my mind, but all of this seems very, very bad to me. Based on what I've heard so far, I am unsettled, and I'm not sure I want to be attached to this project. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember asking for your notes. You know what, there's just a little more left. Uh, let's just finish this so I can get to the space shuttle launch. Alright. Fuck it. Fine. Go ahead. Uh, 
Well, now this next line is actually for a child actor. Uh, and then I follow it up. Uh, it's fairly important for legal reasons that I'm not present when the child is actually here recording his lines. Wait, why would you... Okay, here we go. Hey, Assie, what do you want to do when we get to space? Well, Billy, I just can't wait to see Uranus. No! No, goddammit, no, not cool! What the fuck? Get the fuck out! If anybody needs me, I'll be in my Yugo smoking cigarettes and listening to my Duran Duran cassette tapes. Fuck! Oh, well, it's okay, Larry. You're still my friend. And I'm sure today, January 28th, 1986, won't get any worse for you. Oh, thank you, Assy. You always know how to make me feel better. Me too! <laughs> yep. Yeah, it surprises me. No one has ever heard that clip before. That's why we do the deep dives. Yeah, that's we are there for you, listener. Oh, man. Well, Greg, are you ready to dive into this story of the Challenger? Uh, after that, I can't wait to do anything else but distance myself <laughs> from it. <laughs> so let's ride this rocket away from that joke. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That wasn't me. That was Larry Malloy. You'll never prove otherwise. <laughs> you know, he's been dead for 40 years. Whatever. In the late 1960s, NASA engineers realized that the designs they were using to send astronauts into space, and soon to the moon, weren't going to be feasible for much longer. And so they began working on new spacecraft ideas. In the early 70s, President Richard Nixon approved the budget for this new vehicle, and so the space shuttle program was born. The whole idea behind the space shuttle was the craft and its components would be reusable. True to its name, the shuttle was to serve as a space truck that could deliver large payloads to orbit. And then, you know, you're in space. The guy can't kick you out of his fucking space truck once you're up there. And then it's murder. You know, you just freeze to death and your head explodes from lack of oxygen. So he had his fun time. Now you get to have your fun time and, you know, just watch DVDs on his portable DVD player and talk about life and stuff, you know? <laughs> He's already finished, so he's so over it. <laughs> he's so done with you. Uh, why did I agree to this? Eventually, the hope was that the shuttle would be so easy to use and so safe that average idiots such as yourself, listener, would be able to take a fun summer vacation to the moon. It would be just like taking your kids to the Grand Canyon today, and they get there, get out, and they're like, Neat. They look back down at their Nintendo Switch, start playing their Pokemon games. You know, you take a kid to the moon, you expect some sort of like, oh, thanks, Dad, you brought me to the moon, this is beautiful, it's amazing. He's like, no, fuck you. And your God. wife's like, I fucking told you. Yeah. I fucking told you they wouldn't like this. We couldn't afford it, and you made <laughs> us do it anyway. And look, nobody's having fun. Nobody's having fun. Nobody's having fun. Well, well, there's a guided tour over there. He can tell us all about this crater and what made this... <sighs> You know, we could have just gone to Dave and Buster's and, and spent like 60 bucks and they could have got some shit with tickets. They would have been having a blast. But no, this is the life you have chosen. I hope you're happy. This has sealed the deal. The divorce is coming. Accept it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Harold. There's just not a flame there anymore. <laughs> yeah. 
I thought maybe if we were together on the moon, something would happen, but nope. I'm leaving you. I'm, go- I'm gonna find Goodbye, a man. Harold. Yeah. No, Bill. Don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should use the, the rewindy noise every time there's a reverser on this show because we do it a lot. <laughs> Got him again. <laughs> Well, the first shuttle that was built was the Enterprise, and that's, okay, guys, it's a space shuttle, and obviously they named it after their favorite rental car company. I'm just letting that land. <laughs> just letting it land. Uh, Unlike the Challenger's going to do, right? High <laughs> fives! Oh, spoilers! But the Enterprise was built solely for testing. In 1975, construction began on Space Shuttle Columbia, named after everyone's favorite record house with plans to have it ready in 1979. That was worse than Enterprise. <laughs> was it? Because at least... Nobody the... knows what the fuck Columbia is. <laughs> Columbia Record House. Right. Oh, man. That was so great. You get that... Or that, was, I guess. That stamp book with all the album covers. So you could lick it and pick the, the albums you wanted to get, your 10 albums for a penny. And each one after that was like $47. Yeah. yeah. That's how I get you. Mm-hmm. The shuttle was designed like other aircraft, but instead of jet engines, it had rocket engines on the rear of the craft. So, you know, not designed like other aircraft at all. I'm sorry. That's a stupid fucking point to make. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and you're stupid if you don't know the difference between jet engines and rocket engines. (laughs) Fucking. Chris, you should explain it to the stupid listener what the difference is. I don't know. (laughs) See, we're all fucking stupid (laughs) We're all idiots We're all in the same fucking stupid boat Like (laughs) I'm even worse sometimes I feel like I'm I'm Jack In Titanic, I'm just holding on to the side of the boat Yeah Even though there was plenty of room on that fucking door (laughs) Yeah, right (laughs) But that's still me Just like, oh god Well, you know, they left out it, they left out part, and if you watch the director's cut, it's in there. She said, you think you'd want kids someday? He's like, you know what? I'm good in the water right now. <laughs> he just <laughs> pretends to be frozen as he sinks under. <laughs> Once she gets out of view, he's like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Dodge that bullet. Still dies. The ending is him and Billy Zane just hanging out and playing cards, and they got a picture of rose over on the side like you believe you dodged that bullet it's like hey <laughs> i believe some men make their own luck right and they clink glasses you know that's the the director's cut ending i can see why it didn't work for test audiences i understand now but yeah 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 no it makes sense to me as a grown man for sure it speaks to me on a very deep spiritual level now <laughs> i also like the uh the man only cut especially that scene in the car <laughs> in the storage area for the hand it's just a big hairy hand goes up yeah, there Billy Zane's butler climbs out <laughs> now you'll leave his fiance alone <laughs> oh. <laughs> good luck escaping from this ship you can't even walk straight <laughs> god too far <laughs> uh, for launch the shuttle was attached to two solid rocket boosters that weighed 1300 tons stood 150 feet in the air and provided about 3 million pounds of thrust for two minutes. And that's exactly how I'd describe <laughs> my wedding night. <laughs> uh, 
You're giving yourself way too much credit. <laughs> I couldn't last two minutes. There's no fucking way. <laughs> no. Your wedding night was more like the actual video of the Challenger launch. <laughs> I don't know. That was 73 seconds, and that's... Whew, I don't know. That's <laughs> a high bar. <laughs> yeah. We were really drunk, to be fair. That's true. 73 seconds, it just explodes and shit just shoots off in various directions. And you're like, what just happened? <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. Is that my test school over there? <laughs> well, I jerked off before the wedding. I was, you know... I didn't want to blow my load too soon, but then I forgot to pee, and then so just every direction. And then my best man said, are you sure you don't want to, like, figure out this out before you get married? I'm like, well, let's see what happens, I guess. And then, you know, <laughs> you know how things go. <laughs> it also attached to an external tank that contained a hydrogen-based fuel. The solid rocket boosters get the shuttle off the ground and detach, and then the parachute down to the ocean so they could be recovered. The external tank would then pump fuel to the shuttle's engine and push it into orbit. And once that happened, the external tank would detach, and it would mostly burn up in the atmosphere. Some of it would splash down the ocean, but it wasn't reusable like the solid rocket boosters. Yeah, and uh, kind of little known fact on that point, the Russians never used solid rocket boosters for their spacecraft. While it was the strongest booster mankind had ever made, it was also impossible to shut off once it had ignited. Like, no matter what, the boosters would burn at full power until all the fuel was gone, in this case, 127 seconds. Well, in the meantime, NASA hired 35 astronauts and began training them for spaceflight. This was the largest group they'd ever hired, and this time they decided it wouldn't just be a bunch of white guys going into space. This group included six women, one of which was Jewish, three African-American men, and one Asian-American man. And for the first time, most of the new hires weren't actually pilots. They were engineers and scientists who could aid in performing experiments in low Earth orbit. Sexual experiments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not true, but it'd be cooler if it was. I want to be the first man to come in space. I'm going to say it. You're not even close. <laughs> you think they've jerked off up there? Yes. <laughs> Dude, there's people that have been up there like, over a year. That's true. But then it starts floating around in little, like, beans. Ah, like they little... put it in the piss bag. Oh, uh, okay. You don't just, like, Pac-Man it as you're floating through space? Like, oh, eliminate the evidence? You don't do that? With your mouth? <laughs> you fucking disgust me. <laughs> it took you him disgust a second. me. It took him a second. It was like watching my video, like, the calculations running in his... Wait. Wait, wait, there it is. <laughs> I was thinking about something else. And I was like, wait, did I just hear what I heard? I did. I did. God. I was thinking of something much less inappropriate. I was just like, you know, you, you come in the piss bag and you prank your astronaut buddy with it. <laughs> no. Nope. Hey, man, does this piss look normal to you? <laughs> oh, no, that's just my nut. Woo, I gotta get gotcha. back to Earth. I gotta get back to Earth. Oh, God. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Although, if he's been up there for a year, too, he's just going to town on himself anyways. Like, no, nah, that, looks, that looks right. That's about right for me. You know, that's what happens every time I do that. Carl, can you hit the auxiliary booster? He's just fucking going to town. Oh, yeah. Just flips it. Doesn't miss a stroke. <laughs> just become a normal daily activity. He's like leaning up against the wall so he can feel the vibration when the booster hits. Like, oh, there it is. There it is. 
Thanks, Carl. <laughs> hey, you you mind if I'm Pac-Man today? <laughs> they <laughs> The Columbia was completed in 1979, but a whole bunch of computer and engine problems pushed its launch all the way back to April of 1981. On April 12th, the Columbia lifted off and enjoyed a nice three-day, two-night stay in Earth's orbit before returning on April 14th. It was the day the Titanic sank. They couldn't have picked a better day. Hmm. Bring back the first shuttle launch. Mm-hmm. Now, like I said earlier, the shuttle didn't have jet engines, so once it re-entered the atmosphere, it was basically a giant, super-heavy glider. And this part freaked me out the first time I read this or saw this on that Excellent Netflix documentary you should definitely not watch until after you've listened to this podcast. It's like 13 tons, and it's just gliding down to Earth. Because I freak myself out when I get on a plane, and I'm like, isn't it kind of weird that this giant tube of metal can stay airborne? Isn't that crazy? And like my brain's like, oh God, we're going to fucking die. Like mm-hmm. now there's there's no control, and you're just slowly descending towards the Earth. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, just this random wind comes up. You're like, oh, well, fuck it. We're dead. Okay, here we go, (laughs) fellas. But the shuttle did touch down at Edwards Air Force Base in California to a large cheering crowd filled with celebrity guests. 1980s celebrities. Who cares? Bob Barker still had white hair. Yeah, the fat kid from the Goonies was there doing the truffle shuffle. His agent's like, just go out there and fucking do it. He's like, man, I'm getting really sick of this. I don't want to do it. <laughs> his his dad's like, you're going to fucking do it. You get out there and you do it. Dad, I don't want to be typecast. You're going to be famous. You're going to continue to be in things your whole life. <laughs> this won't be the end for you. This is very demeaning, Dad, if you say so. <laughs> Gets out there and jiggles his fat. Yeah. He's never seen again. You're right. 20 years later, he's doing Community Shakespeare. And he's, you know, Othello. He's all ripped and fit. And no, some... he's somehow still working that bit in there. <laughs> he's doing Othello, and then right at the end, he fucking does it. And everybody just, finally, yeah! <laughs> yeah! That's what we came for! <laughs> yeah! There's still, like, one more scene. Everybody's just filing out, like, at the end of a sports game that's already had a determined outcome. The Asian kid from the Goonies comes out and he's got a new invention. And he's like, oh, I'm back in. Let's get back in the seats, lady. <laughs> Over the following few years, NASA added three more shuttles to their fleet. Challenger, Discovery, and Atlantis. And Discovery was really cool at first. And then just it became about, they just started sending ice road truckers into space. And it's like, okay, this is kind of fucking stupid. Like I was hoping to learn something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this family has got uh, 26 kids. Cool. Yeah, 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 shit. Right. yeah. Remember when this channel was about science and shit? <laughs> you remember <laughs> that? In 1983, Dr. Sally Ride became the first woman to go to space. And later that same year, Guyon Bluford Jr. became the first African American to go. Still, in less than three years, Pretty much all of America had stopped giving a shit about the space shuttle and NASA. This is very interesting. Hmm. 
Another launch into orbit. Yay. Yay. You guys found aliens yet? <laughs> yeah. All right, shut the fuck up. Well, in addition to that, Congress was starting to ask questions about NASA's budget. And people always assume that NASA has this huge budget, but by 1986, it only counted for seven-tenths of a cent of every tax dollar. So, very little money goes to NASA, but everybody's like, oh, I can't believe we're spending money on this shit. There's, those people are going to space, and oh, I can't even build a new football stadium. This is horseshit. This is goddamn horseshit. <laughs> Still, the shuttle program had promised to be cheap and so effective that launches could happen twice a month, but that was far from the actual case. And so, in 1983, NASA started looking for ways to get people interested again, and they came up with the idea they could send a regular, non-astronaut human into space. At first, they thought about sending up a celebrity or a reporter, and one such person was John Denver. I'm like, well, no, no, slow your roll, buddy. You'll you'll die in another aeronautical disaster. <laughs> oh, it's fucked. They're even considering sending up Big Bird. But the costume wouldn't fit inside the orbiter. It can only fit, like, the bottom half. And then you got this guy coming out of the bird costume, which just freaks everybody out. Like, that just ruined my fucking illusion. I was 45 years old at the time. I'm like, oh, my God. God, Big Bird's not a bird. It's just a man in a costume. He's got a wife beater on. <laughs> he was drunk as fuck. You see him stumbling around there? Singing Neil Diamond songs? What's wrong with that guy? Oscar the Grouch came out of the bottom half while the guy was in it? For some reason, he wasn't that grouchy anymore? <laughs> Your trash can's all clean now. <laughs> Oh, that is an analingus joke for our listener. Just in case you didn't keep up, analingus. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, just didn't know that was a thing. I mean, not by that name. <laughs> I know what it is. Trust well, me. me. And my, me and my dad had the birds and bees talk a long time ago. <laughs> well, son, grape is my favorite flavor when you're doing that sort of thing but you know you can you can mix it up i'm i'm a liberal dad you do what you, makes you happy well in 1984 president ronald reagan decided that the person who would be sent into space would be a teacher mainly because he was up for re-election and wanted the teachers union endorsement over 11,000 teachers applied but in 1985 after a lengthy process the teacher chosen was krista mcauliffe a 37-year-old social studies teacher from Concord, New Hampshire. And she knew all about grapes, because that's where those grapes come from. Concord grapes. It's Concord. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. She knew about grapes and fast planes. And so they're like, straight to space with you. <laughs> and you know what, Greg? NASA's plan fucking worked. People were stoked for the upcoming launch of the Challenger shuttle. And uh, little known fact, they actually formed a uh, junior astronaut program, and they told the kids that after the teacher launch, they planned on sending a kid to space. You know, that sounds horrible. Think of how much worse this could have been. <laughs> that sounds terrible. This poor little innocent Billy. <laughs> Where do you want to go, Rassy? We're going straight to hell when the shuttle explodes, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up, bitch. <laughs> What 
happened to your voice? The hatches are already locked. <laughs> I don't have to fake it anymore. She slowly wipes off the clown makeup. She's all smeared. Just smeared down. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, the funny thing is, um, a lot of you might know uh, who this person is, but the face of the junior astronauts was Peter Billingsley, which uh, was the star of the movie A Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very little known fact. That's true. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome. <laughs> well, joining Krista on the Challenger would be Flight Commander Dick Scobie, Mike Smith, and Ellison Onizuka, and they had all been test pilots before becoming astronauts. There was also Judith Resnick, an electrical engineer, Ronald McNair, a physicist, and an engineer who helped design telecommunication satellites named Greg Jarvis. The launch date for the Challenger was officially set for January 26th, 1986. But behind the scenes, things weren't exactly going perfectly. After every launch, the solid booster rockets would be recovered and examined before being rebuilt for future launches. And these rocket boosters, they were contracted to a Utah-based company called Morton Thiokol. Morton Thiokol, like the salt company. You know, we make salt and we blow shit up. Not Mormon Thiokol, which you might be thinking because I said Utah. Just clearing that up for you. I think people with ears probably heard Morton Thiokol. <laughs> they were like, Mormon Thiokol? That's weird. Okay. All right. But, but it's Utah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, after recovering these boosters, they began to see that the two rubber O-rings that helped seal the boosters together were showing signs of damage. Now, this is a big deal. Because if those O-rings failed, the rocket would explode. And Greg, newsflash, rockets aren't supposed to do that. Whoa. <laughs> Mind blown, right? Wow. Well, NASA and Morton Thiokol looked at the data, and they said, you know, that's a problem that needed fixing, but, you know, it's probably okay as long as only the first O-ring suffered damage, and they could address the problem later. Then, in January of 1985, they saw a good deal of damage to the primary O-ring when the outside launch temperature in Florida had been a freezing, unbearable 53 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my god, it's so cold. <laughs> oh no. I go into a, uh, a truck stop in Seattle. Right. Middle of winter. <laughs> Damage your O-ring real quick when it's that cold. <laughs> Well, a few months later, they saw a launch where the primary O-ring was burned completely through, and the secondary O-ring had some damage. And Morton Thiokol also did tests on the material the O-ring was made of, and found that it was less resilient when subjected to sub-freezing temperatures. But still, when you look at this stuff, it, it sounds really bad, but it's very inconclusive data. Because, like I said, there's some warmer temperatures where it burns through more... And there's colder temperatures where it fails. And so they're, they don't really know what's going on. And so NASA created a waiver that basically said, hey, you guys, hey, hey, uh, we know this shit is broken and, you know, people will die horrible, horrible deaths if it fails. But uh, we're kind of cool with it. We're going to see what happens, you know, just fuck it. Find out, right? And so the shuttle program pressed on. Sunday, January 26th rolled around, and everyone was just super fucking hyped for this launch. But some dumbass 
Air Force meteorologists, fucking, what do they know? They said it was going to rain all morning, and the launch was pushed to the following day. That's a personal attack. Yeah, I don't want you guys thinking he actually hates the Air Force. <laughs> I hate Greg. Yeah, I was in the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. Way back in, in the... Uh, the aughts? Olden days. In the aughts. I didn't serve at all, but I feel like I can attack you as a taxpayer. Tax dollars paid for you. That's Play ping right. pong and jerk off and spill pee buckets all over the hangar, like you told me that one time. It wasn't a hangar, but... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not denying the pee bucket. <laughs> Just the hangar part. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, since it was a dumb Air Force guy, it didn't actually rain that morning. It didn't rain until late in the afternoon. And NASA missed a perfect launch window. But, you know, not everybody was upset because it was Super Bowl Sunday, so instead of working, they got to watch the Bears just completely demolish the New England Patriots. The next morning, the crew of the Challenger climbed into the crew compartment of the shuttle, and they got super jazzed to go into space. After they were loaded in, the handle to the hatch had to be removed by NASA crews, but wouldn't you know it, one of the screws of the handle was stripped, and it wouldn't come off. Another crew rushed in, and by rushed, I mean they took their sweet-ass time getting there. Just driving the speed limit, like, eh, no big deal. We get paid by the hour, fellas. <laughs> we'll get there when we get there, you know what? Let's... Oh, shit, is that the, the lunch truck? Let's just pull over there. They got tacos today, all right. <laughs> <laughs> they brought in battery-operated drills to try and drill out the screw, but of the nine batteries they had, eight were dead, and the ninth was barely charged. Hey, John, go grab all those charged batteries for the drills. Uh, we don't... John, just come on, John, come on. (laughs) Way to go fucking NASA. Smartest guys in the room, right? Well, this was actually a contractor. I believe it was Lockheed or something, right? Yeah, I think you're right. You're right, yeah. No big deal. (laughs) I'm sorry I insulted you, NASA. You did nothing (laughs) wrong in this whole story. I'm sorry. (laughs) These guys ended up cutting off the handle with a hacksaw, but it took until about noon, and by then the winds had gotten so high, the launch had to be delayed once again. Meanwhile, Larry Malloy's in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're having to cut the handle off. I'm escape now. I don't need the fucking clown voice anymore. <laughs> They're running out of air in there. I know, I know. (laughs) I'm so hard. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, for the morning of January 28th, a real non-Air Force meteorologist predicted that it was going to be super cold in Cape Canaveral. Like, low 20s. You know, just the, you know, just the coldest temperatures ever recorded in Florida history. Yeah, no big deal. That's all. Yeah. NASA called all of its engineers and contractors and said, Hey, is uh, like ridiculously cold weather going to affect any of your systems? All of the engineers at Morton Thiokol raised their hands like anxious kindergartners who had to go to the bathroom. Ooh, 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 me, pick me, pick me. Oh, oh God, yes. NASA management and Thiokol's head of the Solid Rocket Booster Program, Ali McDonald, who are in Cape Canaveral, then held a teleconference with the Thiokol engineers and management in Utah. NASA management argued that there wasn't enough data to support the decision to delay the launch. 
McDonald and every single Fiacol engineer said they were against launching the shuttle at any temperature below 53 degrees. Now, typically, they had to argue that it was safe to launch. Like, they had to prove that it was safe to do that. But now, they felt like they had to prove it wasn't safe to launch, which seems kind of backwards when you're thinking about something so complicated and sensitive as a rocket launch. It was then that our friend, friend of the show, shuttle program manager, Larry Malloy, shouted, (laughs) Oh, good God, Thiokol, when do you want us to launch? Next April? What if you waited a few days? Shut up, assy. I'm trying to make a point here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's either today or over a year from now. (laughs) You're right. Better options. They needed a Greg in the room to say, are you full of shit? Like, are are you fucking kidding me right now? (laughs) Because the Chris in the room, like, yes, sir, I'm sorry. Yes, we'll launch next day. We'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Can I suck on your zipple? Yes, Daddy Larry. Can I sit on your lap again? <laughs> Where's Assy the Crown? He's my friend. <laughs> he was so nice to me. You're so mean. He left that deflated balloon in my house <laughs> when he was doing his balloon animals. My mom found it, and she was very upset that it was deflated. She's like, what is this? Who did this? <laughs> it was Assy. He was making a balloon animal. A snake. <laughs> I guess you are an adult in this scenario. Yes, yes, 100%. Sitting adult. I'm an engineer for fucking NASA. You just live with your mom. Right? Well, it was then that the Utah Fire Call Management asked to go offline to discuss the decision. Half an hour later, they called Florida back and said, Okay, guys, we've changed our mind and we're okay with the launch. In that 30 minutes, the management of Thiokol had ignored every single one of their engineers and decided that if NASA wanted them to launch, they were going to do it. It turns out NASA was considering finding a new contractor to put in a bid on the solid rocket booster. Well, that would affect their decision. (laughs) You're going to make the best decision, right? (laughs) Well, back in Florida, NASA printed out a memo that said Thiokol supported the decision to launch Alan McDonald refused to sign that document, and so it was faxed to Utah, where the vice president of engineering, Joel Kilminster, signed it. NASA had gotten what it wanted. The shuttle was going to launch the next morning, January 28th. And I'm sure it's going to go fine. You guys don't even need to listen to the second half of this show. Yeah, we got some space tales in the second half. Yeah, very cool space tales. Flying around the stars. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All fun things. Yes, just nothing but fun after the break. But you know what? Just come back anyway. Just have a good time with us after the break. All happy, good, fun times. That's all I'm saying. After the break. Yes. Which is now. now. All right, welcome back from break. Hope you had a good time. 
hope you went and I talked did, Chris. To- Thank you. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. Fuck you. Oh. I was talking to our listener. I hope they had a good time. Hope they went downstairs, talked to their significant other. Hope there wasn't this big fight where she once again threatens divorce, but you know she won't fucking do it because she, she needs, she needs the money and the support. So she can't go anywhere. Um, you know, just standard couple stuff. Just hope that was... She needs that obscure podcast money. Right? Yes. Not talking about anyone specific. Yeah. Um, if you want my marriage to succeed, maybe find the Patreon at HunterProofHistory.com. That's all I'm saying. You know, just, just you know, it's just tangentially related to what we're talking about here. Oh, that Cuban boy's guts. <laughs> yes. From last episode. Tan guts, yes. <laughs> all right. Well, Greg, I've drank half a seltzer, so I got to... Reach for the second seltzer. For this, what is America's favorite segment? I am sure, second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. And three, two, one. You're also holding a second seltzer. Don't you lie to this fucking listener. Oh, he's double pumping. Oh, that is 10% uh, alcohol. Oh, this yes. man. Oh. <laughs> I think the percentage is still the same. <laughs> Feel the burn. It is the same. You're right. I don't understand math. You're right. <laughs> if 5% of this one is alcohol and 5% of this one has alcohol, obviously together they make 10%. Stupid. Felt like I was a sophomore sorority girl at the pool. Mm-hmm bunch of boys acting like vultures around me and trying to take advantage of me and i'm like i'm not gonna let that happen but i'm double fisting those seltzers and it's like Mm -hmm. not putting myself in the best position to succeed let's play fucking little john all right that's that's what i think about when (laughs) when i'm drinking those seltzers like that anyway (laughs) just thinking of this seltzery goodness and also hooking up with dudes but you know from a different perspective (laughs) I'm not pretending to be a woman in my fantasy. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he knows what he's getting into. He knows. Well, Greg, we have a lot of tragedy to talk about here, and we're going to try and keep it together as best as Hunter Proof History can. I'm sure Wolf Dick won't be playing any Price is Right losing sounds in the second half. I hope not. Not no to Wolf Dick. <laughs> But, are you ready to tell the people the rest of this story? I'm gonna do my best. I like how you're the fucking main host, and I always have to set things up. What is this bullshit? What do you mean? You think the president writes his own speeches? (laughs) Like, I mean... (laughs) Come on, man. Nice save. Thank you. Okay, yes, you're you're correct. (laughs) Well, guys, just like the actual non-Air Force meteorologist had predicted... A ridiculous cold front came through, dropping the temperature in Cape Canaveral down to 28 degrees. Most of the media was so convinced the launch wasn't going to happen that they hightailed it out of there to cover the hard-hitting story of the danger the freezing temperatures posed to the Florida orange groves. No more Sunny D, bitch. (laughs) What a time to be alive, right? Alan Ronald McDonald was relieved when he woke up at four that morning and saw that the fire suppression sprinklers that had been running all night had caused ice to form all over the launch structure. He, like the media, was absolutely sure that the launch would be called off. 
The contractor who helped design the shuttle, Rockwell International, also told NASA they couldn't okay the launch with all the ice that was present. In fact, in the meeting between Thiokol and NASA the night before, Alan McDonald had told Larry Malloy, a clown extraordinaire, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't launch for three separate reasons. The O-rings, the rough seas that would keep the recovery ships from finding the boosters once they detached, and the probability of ice on the launch structure. Uh, there was also a bonus reason he was really worried about what this guy was was doing with little kids. <laughs> Why? He just wanted kids to go on the shuttle. I don't understand what you're saying, Greg. What was he upset about? Mm. I want to go to Uranus. Well, yes, everybody does. Assy the Clown, everybody does, right? <laughs> <laughs> I want to put your blue toes in my mouth. I love feet. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Toes. <laughs> yes, I heard. Yes. <laughs> you got any more fucking planet jokes, Chris? <laughs> I don't think you did it. You did it. <laughs> I'm going to put a mercury thermometer in your mouth when I give you HIV and you're running a fever. <laughs> Just like Jupiter was a god of all gods, I'm really god of your butthole. Wait, no, two on the nose. I'm sorry. <laughs> You remember that painting where it's Saturn eating the head off of his own child? I'm going to put your head at my mouth, too. <laughs> Beat that. <laughs> I can't. Uh, you win. You win. I love Venus. I love Venus and balls. <laughs> Just like Neptune's the god of the sea, I'm the god of semen. All right? (laughs) Now take this Mars candy bar and get in my white van. (laughs) Uh, Andromeda, I don't care. Let's have sex. Planet XXX. (laughs) The sun? I'll treat you like my son. (laughs) A special son. You're not going to talk to me after this. Just like my son. (laughs) Now go on and moon me, I dare you. <laughs> I dare you. Let me put this crochet condom on first. <laughs> well, back to the story. NASA said, fuck your O-rings. We'll find the boosters even if they sink. And we got ice scrapers, bitch. We got an indemnity clause that secures us from any molestation on the premises. <laughs> That whole morning, they cleared ice from the structure until NASA engineers determined that what was left would have no effect on the actual launch. While they were out there, infrared thermometers measured the temperature of the right solid rocket booster at 9 degrees Fahrenheit. And remember, Thiokol, the company in Utah, wasn't comfortable launching at anything under 53 degrees. It's close. It's pretty close. You know, they're they're NASA. They kind of just wing it. They don't fucking do science and math and shit. They're just gonna figure it out as they go. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. It'll all work out. Yeah, nothing bad will ever happen to us. By 8.36 a.m., the seven astronauts were loaded into the Challenger crew compartment, completely unaware that anyone had any real concerns about cold weather launches. They sat there for nearly three hours until the final ice inspection was completed. Outside the shuttle... At a nearby viewing area, the family of the astronauts, including the parents of Krista McAuliffe, waited anxiously for the launch. 
They were also joined by a Girl Scout troop and little Ralphie from A Christmas Story, like we mentioned earlier. Like, could they have picked, like, a more, like, innocent, susceptible group for this launch? Like, there's just a bunch of innocent, like, puppies that just open their eyes out there. Well, the next uh, idea, the next launch was one of these motherfuckers would have been on board. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So, kind of worked out. Hey, come see what's going to happen to you. Here we go. All right. This is going to be fun, right? This is going to be fun for all you kids. (laughs) This won't traumatize you at all. Okay. Let's see what happens. Well, at schools across the nation, including the school where Krista taught, the launch was being televised on a closed circuit. CNN rushed back to the location and was the only network that was there to broadcast the launch. Which is why it never happened, because everybody knows CNN fake news. I don't believe that ship exploded at all. It's fucking horseshit. It's just liberal agenda right there. We need to recount those bodies. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm almost 40. I can do that old man struggling laugh. That What's my excuse? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the countdown began at 11.37 a.m. Just after 11.38, the solid rocket boosters ignited and the Challenger lifted off from the pad. 65 seconds into the flight, the shuttle had passed 35,000 feet and pilot Dick Scobie gave a speed reading of 486 miles per hour. 68 seconds after launch, Mission Control in Houston gave the order, Challenger, go it throttle up. Dick Scobie replied, Roger, go it throttle up. Then, 73 seconds after the shuttle had left the launch pad, there was a giant explosion, and the shuttle was ripped apart. What are your jokes now, Chris? Oh, no, I... I we did this before, and you said, well, if you're going to challenge me, and then I was like, oh, if you're going to challenger me... But that's as far as I got. I can't think of anything. This is just horrible. Just a horrible fucking moment in history, Greg. Mm. Mm. I feel terrible. I want to puke mm. right now because you want to make jokes, you horrible human. <laughs> Don't you turn this around. <laughs> well, on the ground, no one who was watching really knew what had happened. This was the first launch most of them had actually watched, and they assumed the large fireball was caused by the solid rocket boosters separating from the external tank as they were designed to do. It took NASA another 30 seconds to realize what had happened, and they remotely detonated the solid rocket boosters, which were flying wildly through the air. The NASA public announcer was still delivering pre-written dialogue to describe the launch for a full 45 seconds after the explosion, before he finally said, Flight controllers here are looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously, a major malfunction. Like, you know, because everything is timed at... 69 seconds say this, at 74 seconds say this. But uh, he was just still reading off that card. Yeah, not even didn't looking really, up. Didn't he, really look up and, yeah. He like he looks at his card and he's like, everything is going great, and very soon they'll be in outer space, and they'll never die. He looks up and he's like, <laughs> oh, fuck! Oh, oh, my, he, he's what? like covering for it, he's like... Uh, they're he starts now in outer space on their way to heaven. Starts frantically flipping through the cards. Like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And they're returning to Earth now. Uh, <laughs> that's as close as I can get, fellas. I don't know. Someone tell me what to say. I'm not good at improv. I'm just a puppet. I am just a NASA puppet. I'm sorry. I make a lot of book, book on tapes. This is what I do. I read. 
Hi, hello. He runs up. I'm sorry, I'm drunk. And yeah, he leaves. <laughs> I have a problem. It's his excuse, just so nobody blames him. Well, you know, he's got a problem. He's got a problem. You know, my uncle. My uncle was a drunk, too. You know, I understand. I get it. Yeah. It's also why I don't trust public bathrooms anymore. Uh, unrelated. My, my, I'm sorry. Uncle, uncle Malloy. <laughs> like to dress as a clown. You guys, if you haven't watched that that documentary, you will understand why we hate Larry Malloy, and we'll get to that in a second as we move forward. I just, like, they might be like, why are they so mean to Larry Malloy? He's just a nasty guy just trying to do his job. Well, it was then that the people viewing from below were informed that the shuttle had actually exploded. Or the unfortunate reality. Out. You're making jokes this whole fucking time about this announcer guy now. He's like, oh, they're his, Kristen McAuliffe's mom. Just watched her die. Feel good about that? <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> no, no. The unfortunate reality is that the shuttle itself had not actually exploded. There had been an explosion, but the force of it had just broken the shuttle into pieces. The crew compartment was intact when it was shot further into the air and then took two minutes to fall down to the surface of the ocean where it impacted at the force of 400 Gs. It's ridiculous. Like 1,200 miles an hour. Just boom, stop. Yeah. Uh, the crew was likely alive at the moment of impact. Even worse, if the cabin remained pressurized, they were likely still conscious for the entire descent. Oh, that's tough, man. That's 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 tough to hear. I don't even I don't even know what to say about that. Um, you I, wrote I, it, bitch. But, well, I felt like a dick writing it, to be <laughs> honest with you, because it was kind of like a a nerd pushing the glasses up on his nose. Actually, well, actually, it didn't explode. They probably suffered the whole way down. You know. <laughs> Oh man, well, just... I, I, I think that's a good example of like something that you know we're naturally curious, mm -hmm. and it's uh, I don't feel like that documentary really really went into no, that too much. It did, you know? and both both the books I mentioned in the beginning do mention that. It's like you yes. know they they were probably alive, and if it stayed pressurized, they probably were awake the whole way down and that's just fucking terrifying just two minutes yeah. just waiting for your death and that's they don't know long fucking time they don't know the shuttle's gone so they're hitting like switches like trying to activate stuff trying to you know guide it back down to safety and it's just terror for two fucking minutes and that that makes it worse and i don't think it took a long time for nasa to even reveal that information to the families they're like oh no they they probably died instantaneously just trying to comfort them um, but no, that was, that was a rough death either way. Having a good time, having a, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, Greg, little known fact, we don't actually know what happened to them because it took six weeks to find the crew compartment a hundred feet underwater and the autopsy results were kept private. So we have no idea what condition the bodies were. Uh, upon impact or upon discovery, you know, we just don't know yeah, if they were conscious or what happened. I don't think there's a way to tell. No, I don't know. I hitting, don't know hitting that fast, I think those bodies were immediately pulverized. Yeah, as soon as you hit, if the outside of your body's okay, every internal organ is just obliterated at that at speed. At over 1,200 miles an hour, I don't think the outside of your body's okay. Yeah, it's just everything... 
Imagine you're in a car and you're going 1,200 miles an hour, which is just fucking crazy in itself, and you hit a brick wall. That's what they did. And it just, it's just, oh, well, man, there's just no telling what the condition those bodies are in. And they, they probably kept that all secret, you know, for the family benefit and for, you know, public benefit because who, nobody wants to remember well, I think those they got to tell the way. family, but yeah. Yeah. Either way, NASA and all of its contractors immediately launched their investigations. Alan Ronald McDonald reviewed the film and noticed that immediately as the solid rocket boosters were ignited, black puffs of smoke could be seen coming out of one of the joints. Not unusual for black puffs of smoke to be coming out of <laughs> no. the joints. Yeah, I'm sure. No. <laughs> well, I guess bl- black would be. Uh, <laughs> that is unusual. I'm sorry. You're not smoking a gasoline joint. Anyway. <laughs> no, just that's trying to there. lighten the mood here, okay? No, we're that's in there. Pulverized bodies. <laughs> you know? Yeah. My mood's light. You know, my mood's good. You don't have to lighten my mood. I've had a half chub <laughs> the entire time talking about the bodies. It was only because of Ronald McDonald and Larry Malloy. You're like, oh, clowns. All right. All right. They like blowing up balloons. Me too. You know, just different kinds. <laughs> A couple days later, the New York Times printed a picture showing what appeared to be a flame shooting out of the booster right before the explosion. NASA's public information stooge would only say that it was an anomalous plume and would offer no further explanation. It took McDonald, NASA, and Thiokol almost no time to figure out what had happened. The O-rings had failed, and a stream of hot gas had shot out of the right booster. That gas then hit the strut connecting the boosters to the external tank. That strut failed, and the booster collided with the external tank, which was filled with liquid hydrogen fuel, and the whole thing exploded. President Reagan then announced a commission to find out what had happened and who was to blame. It was named the Rogers Commission after its head, former Secretary of State William Rogers. Before it even started, Reagan told Rogers not to embarrass NASA, because NASA were national goddamn heroes. Joining Rogers were several notable humans, like the first woman in space, Dr. Sally Ride, the first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong, Air Force General Donald Coutinho, and Nobel Prize-winning physicist, co-creator of the atomic bomb, and all-around badass Richard Feynman. At the beginning of the commission, everything was going great for NASA because they could lie their asses off and no one was calling them on it. Unfortunately for them, one of their budget guys, a dude named Richard Cook, had spent years talking to engineers who were worried about the O-rings. He leaked that information to the press, and now NASA had some splaining to do. And NASA was like, uh, seriously, the guy's name is Dick Cook. You're going to listen to Dick Cook? Come on. Come on, Come guys. on. Come on. All right. Come on. But you, you, what's next? You want some poached dick? <laughs> you know, <here's> some <laughs> grilled dick and potatoes. Come yeah, on, guys. This guy don't know shit. Come on. <laughs> some, uh, some dick all gratin. <laughs> so I just had to throw that one in there. Too. Okay. Well, I didn't feel like it landed, but now dick all gratin. All right. <laughs> the next day, the commission held a private hearing and began to interview NASA officials about the O-rings. At one point, one of the NASA guys said that they were aware of the O-ring issue but had never seen any damage to the secondary O-ring, so they thought they were good. It was then that Alan McDonald stood up, punched that dude in the dick, called him a fucking piece of shit liar, and told the commission what really happened. Well, 
I mean, he actually just stood up and raised his hand. But still, you know, he called him on the <laughs> bullshit. You got to add something. You got to put something in there. It's a, it's a meeting of political figures talking about science stuff. You'll be like, no, you got to, this, we got to spice this up. Come on, man. Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> That same day, General Katina was walking down the hall when Sally Ride, without saying a fucking word, walked up to him, slipped him a piece of paper, and then kept on walking. Said, stop staring at me like that, and stop touching your crotch while you do it. Also, will you go out with me? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> well, it was actually a graph detailing how O-rings became less reliable at low temperatures. Not wanting to get her in trouble for leaking the O-ring information, he invited Richard Feynman over to his house and cooked up a story about how the O-rings in his car's carburetor leaked when it was cold. That same night, Feynman went to an all-night drugstore and bought some pliers. The next day, when the hearings had become public again, Feynman ducked a piece of the thiokol O-ring into a glass of ice water. After a little while, he got everyone's attention and he said, I took this stuff that I got out of your seal, and I put it in ice water, and I discovered that when you put some pressure on it for a while and then undo it, it does not stretch back. It stays the same dimension. In other words, for a few seconds at least, and more seconds than that, there is no resilience in this particular material when it is at a temperature of 32 degrees. Yeah, no, I had to, I, I had to watch very basic videos about how O-rings work, and it's kind of like... um I recently, as you know, Greg, I got ass implants. Yes, yeah, so like, I, do, I do know that. <laughs> Halfway through, the doctor got arrested and someone had to fill in, a nurse practitioner. Anyway, um, the whole idea with an O-ring is when it's under low pressure, it's it's like collapsed. You know, it's like things are pressing down on it. When it's at high pressure, it stretches and it fills the gaps. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like my ass implants. Uh, my left ass cheek, if you slap it, Real hard, it immediately like jiggles but comes back to form. The other ass cheek is like stress putty. So like you can punch it, you like write your name in it, and it takes like three or four minutes for it to like pop back out. And that's a cold O-ring. That's basically how that works. Okay. Just so you, just so you guys know. Um, you know, like I said, I, ve- I read that very technical Alan McDonald book, Truth, Lies, and O-rings. That's kind of how he explains it as well. You know, it's kind of lost in translation, but it's kind of the same thing. If you if you look through the book, you'll you'll get basically it. you'll get it. <laughs> okay. All I'm saying is, when you do a live show, you better slap my left ass cheek. <laughs> the right one, <laughs> you might lose a finger or two. <laughs> Just... <laughs> well, this public demonstration of standing up and explaining this is what Feynman is known for. But he was a scientist, so he spent a lot of time early on learning everything he could about the shuttle and its systems by traveling to every NASA site. At one point, William Rogers got annoyed with Feynman, so he asked him to do some research for some tangentially, tangentially <laughs> related information. Is that a hard word to say? I'm just saying. I just, just lean just, into it, man. Just Cuban boy, man. <laughs> just lean into can't it. get him out of my mind. <laughs> But uh, Feynman had already done that work, and so he was able to stick around for the hearings. From that point on, the commission became more adversarial. NASA higher-ups like Larry Malloy, a clown extraordinaire, and his boss, the director of Marshall Space Flight Center, William Lucas, continued to say Thiokol had said it was okay to launch, 
and that they had found the data to be inconclusive. They couldn't explain what had made Thiokol change their mind, but insisted they hadn't pressured them to do so. Thiokol managers also couldn't say what scientific data had made them change their mind, but they agreed with their engineers in thinking that Larry Malloy and NASA had maybe kind of pressured them to agree to launch the shuttle. In the end, the Rogers Commission confirmed that the disaster was caused by the faulty O-ring. Because NASA and Thiokol had known about the problem and the launch was still ordered, they were also blamed and it was labeled, quote, an accident rooted in history, end quote. That's what I call every premature ejaculation, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Babe, I've been doing this since 13 years old. (laughs) You knew this shit was coming. I mean, literally. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I don't know why you thought you could change me. (laughs) (laughs) That's on you. That's not me. That's you. I like men and I cut my pants. What do you want? (laughs) A clown named Ass, he touched me in the 80s. Okay, this is who I am. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was going out of space. (laughs) I thought I was going to get on the shuttle. He lied to me. I thought I was going to go to the, ascend to the highest heights. Then I thought I was going to go six feet under, but somehow I made it through, baby. And this is who I am. My whole life, men have been lying to me, just like asking the clown. Well, Larry Malloy and William Lucas both lost their jobs. Yes. Neither one had any regrets when it came to launching the shuttle. William Lucas basically said, exploration is dangerous. People die. And he'd do it all over again. What a what a brave man to take that risk for seven people that aren't him. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> cocksucker. Jesus. Larry Malloy actually said that he was to blame, but he never felt any guilt. You know, he felt he would make the same decision again based on the information he had. They both said that and that yeah, it's fucking crazy. Just crazy. Like no remorse. Like, eh, shit happens. All right. I'm still here. I'm still good with this. Uh, You know, a lot of that's probably a defense mechanism. Yeah, it is. Both mentally and financially. Well, yeah, you can't just go out there and say, well, you know, I take that back because Joel Kilminster, the guy who signed the thigh call memo saying, yeah, let's go ahead and launch. He has felt nothing but regret from that day forward. Like, if you watch that documentary you mentioned, he is very torn up about that shit. He's like, that was. But he actually had pushback. Yeah. These guys yeah. never once had any pushback. Right, because they were on the NASA you know. side of things. They so at least like, he's got that on his side. Like, man, I, over and over, I tried to to scrub this, but yeah, ultimately. That's true. You know, yeah. Went against my instinct sort of thing. Yeah. Well, Alan McDonald led the redesign of the solid rocket booster, and it was successfully used in every following shuttle launch. Luckily for everyone, NASA learned its lesson and didn't ignore documented safety issues for an entire 17 years when they decided not to address a problem which caused the space shuttle Columbia to break up upon re-entry on February 1st, 2003, killing another seven astronauts. The shuttle program ended in 2011, and now all United States space travel is done through SpaceX, which is owned by Elon Musk, who would never, ever, ever, Ever let publicity and profits get in the way of human safety. End of story. Woo! We did it again. Did it again. Hope you guys enjoyed that story. 
it's it's just a tragic story. It's it's we talk about 1.5 million people being killed by Genghis Khan and laugh it off, but you get seven individuals killed by bureaucracy and red tape, and you're like, these motherfuckers can't believe they did that shit. Just Someone's cannot believe. Pay. Yeah. Well, the people like from the way back, they're basically like action figures or like yeah, cartoon characters. It's yes. like, yeah, they didn't really die. <laughs> they didn't exist. <laughs> well, Greg, it is time once again for Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. The first shuttle to fly, the Columbia, wasn't actually named for Columbia Record House, as we joked about before. Or even the most likely option of Christopher Columbus, which all of the Columbia stuff in America is named after. It was actually named after a ship named Columbia Redivivia, which was the first American ship to sail around the world. And yeah, the ship was named after Columbus. That's fine. Next. Fast fact number two. Of the crew of the Challenger, Ellison Onizuka had been the first Asian-American in space, and Judith Resnick was the first Jewish-American in space. Ronald McNair wasn't the first African-American in space, but since he was a highly talented saxophone player, he planned on using his time on Challenger to be the first man to compose a jazz song in space. Fast fact number three. Greg Jarvis had actually been scheduled to fly on the two shuttle missions prior to the Challenger disaster. In April of 1985, his place was taken by Senator Jake Garn, who was on the Budget Committee. And in early January, Senator Bill Nelson took Jarvis's place on Discovery to further evaluate the NASA budget. Side note, Bill Nelson is now the current administrator of NASA. Fast Fact Number 4 the Challenger disaster happened the day after the 19th anniversary of the fire on the Apollo 1 spacecraft that had killed three astronauts during a training exercise on the launch pad. Following that accident, NASA was reamed in Congress for ignoring dangerous design flaws. On that day, they swore they would never, ever rush development or launch again in the name of safety. And they never did. The end! <laughs> This story didn't happen. It was all a dream. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you guys for listening. Um, Very interesting story. Very cool story. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope we told it well. Hope we gave it the seriousness and, you know, just, just the weight it deserves. I feel like we do that on the regular. We take things very seriously and we, we don't, uh, degrade them to a level where you're just laughing about people dying. I don't know. Anyway, if you would find us, hunterproofhistory.com. There you'll find our latest episodes. You'll also find information on our Patreon for $3 a month. If you sign up for Patreon, you can get early releases and you also get, I don't know, something like a hundred old episodes that nobody else can listen to. Many episodes, all that crazy stuff that makes you love us so much. Uh, you can also find us on social media at 100proofhistory. Mostly the Instagram. That's where you like to hang out. It's where we have the most fun. Greg, is there anything else you would like to say to these humans before we go? Ba-da-ba-ba-doom-ba-da. 
But that's it. That's all I have to say. Okay. Walker told me I have AIDS. All right. I love you. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Smoke from the shuttle turned into fire in the sky. Anomalous plume. Anomalous plume. I don't know. That's just what they tell me. It is an anonymous plume. Well, it's obviously fire coming from the shuttle. Say anonymous. Oh. It wasn't in a fucking truck stop <laughs> yeah, bathroom. The, the glasses nose mustache combo. <laughs> Classic disguise. <laughs> Never see it coming. NASA's management and Thaikal's head of the Salt Rooster Rocket program. I realized it when I was saying it. I'm sorry. Rooster bucket. Yes. <laughs> yeah, here come the rooster buckets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know we ain't gonna explode. <laughs> no, no, no. Is that guy dead? Is he alive? I stopped watching trap porn for a week. I came to the realization that boy pussy was actually just a man's asshole. I think I'm going to throw up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having a good time. I don't care about the listener. I don't care what they get to hear. I'm having a blast. (laughs) Like a rocket. I killed seven astronauts. Seven heroes. I haven't burped it at all. Fuck you. I mean, good. You've gone a million times, but you well, have fu- Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Do you take some time? You take a little time, No, I have not done anything differently. I you didn't even notice I haven't burped. I'm going to save it for later. Right in the middle of you fast packs. <laughs> I even ate gas station food for lunch. I should be burping up a fucking store. I ate store. literal gas <laughs> out of a balloon from stomach gases from a homeless man. Nasty the clown a said balloon. Suck <laughs> this out. Tip. <laughs> you sucked it out of a balloon with a reservoir tip. <laughs> you just wanted to play Miss Pac-Man so bad. <laughs> I did. It's the bow on that makes it okay. <laughs> you had a bow on. <laughs> waga waga waga. Jesus is okay with this now. Waga waga waga. <laughs> The NASA public announcer was still Skipped delivering. One. Oh, no, you didn't. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. You uh, stupid fucking I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. Piece of oh, shit. no. <laughs> the NASA public. You, what? you didn't even fucking. How do you even know? I was just. Why did you even think that? I was a co pilot on the challenger. I was like, yep, everything looks good. We're doing good. <laughs> Let's keep going, fellas. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even know what to say about that. Um, you I, wrote it, bitch. I, well, I felt like a dick writing it. To be honest with you, <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm not putting that in. There. No, I like it. Keep, keep, keep I'm not it. telling them the extent of what you do. If you're pro segregation, don't fucking listen to my show. Not that. You're so serious now. You're like a sophomore in junior college taking a photography class. Yeah, you see the bag flying against the wall. <laughs> That's American Beauty. We're all the bag, baby. <laughs> But don't make me wear a bag. (laughs) 
can't come. <laughs> I can't. I can't feel anything. I'm already drunk. That just adds something to it. All right, here we go. I did it. I burped in the episode. Yes. Ah! All it took was these fucking trulies. All it took was anything with a bubble in it. 